Well, as you can probably tell from that prayer, that it's going to be a little heavy today. I don't think you can preach on self-control and have it be light. Like, listen, we're talking about self-control, everybody's going to be the real light. When you're talking about self-control, you're, you're, you're talking about um, the war that goes on within between the flesh and the spirit. We're talking about strongholds and habits and hang-ups that maybe have been passed on from generation to generation in our families. We're talking about things that have wreaked havoc and destroyed families and destroyed lives and taken lives. We're talking about the enemy's work when he wants us as God's people to believe the lie that we are slaves to those things which Christ has set us free from. And so today I want your heart to be prepared for heavy things. Know that as one of your pastors tasked with the weight of sharing heavy messages with you, that anything that is said today, anything that is said today, it is said out of, out of love and care for you, with much prayer, praying that the Holy Spirit takes you another step in breaking down any strongholds in your life. Amen. This is our final sermon in this series, the nine. We are almost there. I pray this has been extremely helpful to you. And I just want you to know that these challenges we're going to talk about, that we face, greater is he who is in us than he that is in the world. That I am not trying to say these things for you to do them in your own strength because we can't. What I want you to see today is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you and has been shaping you and writing your story your whole life, even through the painful times, so that you can be a story of restoration to see others set free and walk in a wonderful self-controlled manner where they experience the freedom and the love and the joy of the gospel. You know, as I was reading a blog this week on Desiring God, they talked about something called the marshmallow test. And what the marshmallow test was, they did it about 20 or 30 years ago. They had parents bring their five-year-olds in, and they put them alone in a room with a marshmallow. With one command, you can't eat this marshmallow for 15 minutes. That's tough. Some of you like, if they said a minute, I would have struggled. You understand me? I love marshmallows. But the kids who were able to say no and have self-control to those marshmallows, when they did the study, as they grew up, they found out that they were more successful in worldly standards. I'm just using this as an example. Higher SAT scores, less likely to be addicted to drugs, and just, as the world would say, more successful, right? Now there's hope, though. You think, what happened to the other kids? What they did learn, that self-control could be taught. That self-control could be taught. Now, that's in a worldly manner. What I want you to hear today, because some of you think, there's no way I'm not going to smash that marshmallow every time you put me in a room with it. Me and a marshmallow, I eat it. Don't give me limits. Give me another marshmallow. Right? Some of you are like, you don't understand. This is just how I'm wired. The Holy Spirit rewires us. He renews us. He changes us. He says, you're no longer slave to that. 
I'm going to cause you to be self-controlled. Now, I want you guys to hear that today because some of you maybe feel hopeless with some of the things you're battling right now. Some of you are drinking excessively and no one knows about it. Some are using substance to an excess and the Holy Spirit is saying that is enough. Some of you are having a real issue with balanced eating and it's really affecting your health and your family and just your walk with God, even to have the energy to be able to serve God with everything you are. Some of us are having trouble with fits of anger. That's just been the marshmallow we've been eating all our life. We're just an angry, angry, angry person with fits of anger. Where people are, we're not approachable and we've learned to, because we've made ourselves unapproachable and made ourselves highly offensive, it's been a defense mechanism so no one talks to us about things that will actually bring about the change in our life. And what the Holy Spirit is doing and is going to do, he's going to make us new and restore us so we live self-controlled, balanced, joyful, happy, and fruitful lives. Amen. Let me just read this scripture. It's going to be the final week that we read it. Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So as has been our pattern and our rhythm, we're going to talk about what is self-control? What does it look like? Why should we cultivate it? And how do we cultivate the fruit of the Spirit that is self-control? So let's begin with a simple working definition from Tim Keller. And I threw my own little thing in there, me and Tim Keller working together. You understand me? Just making quotes up here. Self-control is the ability, and this is my part, by the power of the Spirit, to choose the important over the urgent. Self-control is the ability, by the power of the Spirit, to choose the important over the urgent. It's the opposite of the out-of-control works of the flesh. So when it talks about, when you read right before the scripture passage, you'll see all the sexual immorality, all the fits of anger, all the envy, all the strife, all those things. Self-control is the opposite of those things. Self-control is empowered by the Spirit to say, I'm not giving in to this urgent impulse that is detrimental to my soul, to other people's soul, and to the glory of God. I'm not giving in to that. But by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to choose the important and sacrifice and turn away from sin. You know, when it comes to self-control, with some of the works of the flesh, you see that in themselves, they're not bad things. Like sex is a wonderful thing that should be enjoyed inside of marriage. Right? But what does God do? He puts limitations and timings on, on it. Indulgences and excess. We make a good thing the ultimate thing. When we are choosing to walk in the work of the flesh, right, what is happening? At that point, we are saying that thing is more valuable than God. It becomes godlike to us. For those of us who struggle with eating, food has become a godlike thing in our life that brings us things that God and the gospel should be bringing us, like comfort, like escape. 
and we make it godlike, so we overindulge in it, right? So it's a good thing that is made an ultimate thing. And that happens over and over again. Our words, right? Our words are a great thing. They're made to encourage each other. They're made to lift up the name of Jesus. Like God gave us words to be worshipers, to proclaim the gospel. But when those words are used to gossip and to tear down, they become weapons of the flesh rather than words that promote the spirit. Does that make sense, guys? So this is important with self-control that we see that it's not necessarily just the thing, it's the excess and the indulgence in the thing that brings it into sinful territory. And when you get into sinful territory, it starts to destroy your own soul, it starts to hurt others, and it hurts the advancement of the gospel. That's why self-control is such an important thing. It means saying yes to God's limitations. Because you trust that he knows better than us. It means saying yes to God's timing. Because we trust that he knows better than us. You know, I'll give you a lighter story. My youngest daughter, Kara, loves sugar. Like when I say, Kara, we're called to be the salt of the earth. She said, Dada, why not the sugar of the earth? I don't understand. It's a great question. You know it is. It's a good question. I'll get too deep about it. And I'll explain why. But she loves pancakes in the morning. She loves maple syrup in the morning to fire hose maple syrup on the pancakes. Like it becomes a pancake soup. Understand me? And so every morning, or most mornings, at least when pancake is, pancakes are on the menu, it's like, Kira, put a balanced amount of uh, maple syrup on your pancake, will ya? But it's usually Natalie's talent or mid-pour. So it's just, before you know it, it's pancake soup. So just this past week, we had another maple syrup incident, and she ate all that sugar. She was warned, Kara, don't do it. Don't do it. So I'm driving to school like two hours later, and uh, I hear her say, Dada, my stomach is hurting. And I forgot about the maple syrup incident. I said, what'd you eat last night? You all right? And then it hit me mid-sentence. Your mother told you not to put that maple syrup on your pancakes. Now you see why. And she was so sick, and she said, yeah, da, da, you know, basically, I'm paraphrasing, but I shouldn't have put all that maple syrup on my pancake. My mom told me because she loves me, and she was putting the limitations there, and now I'm so, she was so sick, we were late. I had to walk her in and everything. That's a light story to say when God gives us limitations and tells us to be self-controlled, he does it because he loves us, and he wants to protect us. All these limitations, people actually say, no, I don't want to come to Jesus because I can't have fun anymore. I've been pastoring for a long time, and what I've seen is people aren't really having fun out there. They're having moments of sinful, indulgent, forgetfulness, distraction, where they're like, this is awesome, and it's like, I hate myself. I hate everybody. Why? No one's really having fun. There are moments of sinful pleasure, which even the Scripture said, this, sinful is, sin is fun for a season. No, I will not fight that. But the end is death. In the end, is despair. Joy cannot be found there. It really can't. God's loving us enough to say, I love you. I don't want that for you. You're my children. That's your identity. You're my children. I don't want that for you. I want you to receive joy as a follower and a worshiper of me. You know, I just want to hit this 
again, real quick, before we go to the next point, this idea of when we're out of control, we're making good things the ultimate things. We're making them what we call little idols. We're making them little idols. And you see this, you know, a lot of times I'll use an example that might be helpful is with alcohol, right? Like some of us should never drink ever again. And so at Restoration Road, I need to say that to you, right? Never again you should have a drink. And for some of you now, the Holy Spirit's telling you it's time and I've been prompting you towards that. On the other side of that coin, there's some of us where alcohol can be a gift from God. Like David said, thank you for the wine that makes me happy. I can have a a glass of wine, I can have a beer, I can have a, a, a glass of whiskey, right? When we're celebrating, when we're feasting. Like, that's a good thing. But for some of us, alcohol has become the ultimate thing, and we're out of control. And the Holy Spirit reveals that to you. Your God reveals that to you. And he wants to bring that back in control. And we'll talk about a little bit later when we get to the how part of what that looks like, but be thinking when these good things become the ultimate things, we bow down to them and we treat them as masters in our life and Jesus is our only master, amen? So let's talk about the why and this is, this is really, really, really important. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The big point of the why, and this is complex, but the why you want to be a self-controlled person is you want to be a safe person. Christ was the safest person that everyone could run to as a refuge because he was perfectly self-controlled. Have you ever been around someone that you don't feel safe around? Like you're afraid to take them out? They might get into a fight? They might say someone something that destroys someone's soul for the rest of their life, gives them the self-esteem of, you know, like just wreck them. Like this person could say anything. You're like preparing people before they walk in the room. Listen, there's something wrong with this dude. All right? Just get ready. He might say anything. You know? Or you feel like they might start a fight, or they might kick a chair, or they might yell like in a library. You know what I mean? You're like, don't bring them. They'll start screaming at the librarian. I'm like, no, I don't want to be out. It's because these people are not safe people. How about husbands and wives? I want to ask you this question. Can your spouse come to you feeling safe to bring hard things to you? Are they afraid of your reaction? Because that's, we're learning, we're out of control. You better not ask me that. Because you know how I get down. Right? It's not safe. You feel like you're walking in there like it's a landmine. Like, everyone oh, went guy. And everyone's just scared, like, what happened? And it literally feels like a bomb went off, right? Like, what just happened? I'm going to go over here upstairs and go to bed. This is when you're not a safe person. See, self-controlled people are safe people. They're refuges. Um, they're refuge to people. They're shelters. And we need to be shelters. We are called to be lights, shelters, a place of refuge for the hurting. We're called to be a place where people feel so safe around us because they know we're self-controlled. They know we can navigate life. They know we're not going to be offended. They know that we're going to fight with them. They, they know we're not going to judge them, right? I can't believe it. You know? No, we're safe. It's so important to be a safe person. This is the big why behind self-control. To be a 
safe follower of Jesus, just like our Savior Jesus. We all know how hard it is to be around out-of-control people. You know, a question I get a lot is, excuse me, i got to cough into the mic. <coughs> In the future, we'll get the sound team, get it down and back up. I want to hit this first. Get a picture of a safe person like Proverbs with walls around that you're a protection and a shelter to people. The walls are high in your life. You set high boundaries in your marriages. You set high boundaries in your friendships. You really care for people. You love people. Not like out of control where the city is totally just ruined and destroyed because there's no walls and no protection. A safe person puts up high walls against sin against things that would tempt them to fall. Does that make sense, guys? Now, the question I get a lot of the time is, I'm not hurting anybody. What's the big deal? Right, with sin, people say, how, how can it be sin? I'm not hurting anyone. Here's the quick answer to that, and we'll expound on it. There's no such thing as sinning and not hurting anyone. It's just a lot of the time we don't see it. You know, I was down, I told the story before on Main Street. I was driving down behind a car. Actually, I was driving down the Main Street, and there was a parked car, and you're not allowed to take a U-turn right there. You're not allowed. It's against the law. You just can't come out of parking and take a U-turn. But the guy said, forget the limitations. Forget the law. I'm going to bang a Yui right here. He banged a Yui, drove off with a smile. I saw him. Three cars ca uh, crashed behind him. He didn't even look back. I'm telling you, I don't even think he knew that the cars, that he caused the accident. That's how we are sometimes with our sin. We're like, what's the big deal? I didn't hurt anyone, but we don't see the ruins in the back of us. We don't see what our decisions have done. And that kind of ripple effect of our sin. You know, a big thing that people often ask is, you know, the, the big question is always with sex, right? When it comes to marriage. And I'm so proud of many of you. I hear dates being set. My calendar's filling up for 2019, 2020 with weddings. I'm ready to go. My suit is ironed. But I want us to be a people committed to holiness because it's the best for our souls. If I'm any kind of good spiritual father, I've got to tell you things that are good for your soul. In the long run. Let's just talk about a one-night stand maybe for an example, right? What's the big deal with a one-night stand? Oftentimes we might think of the person who's getting used, right? Someone got used most of the time. Someone got used emotionally, and someone was more into the relationship than the others or more hopeful of where it could go, maybe. So we call that person who might be more emotionally damaged. We don't think about the emotional damage of the user, about the person who is learning to use someone else for a one-night stand, to use their body with no emotional connection, with no commitment, with no covenant. When you learn to do that with the numbness of spirit, you are becoming a user, and that's so detrimental to your soul. Sex is so dangerous. And we're starting to figure that out right now in our culture. Sex is a dangerous thing. It's not like going to the door and buying something. The, the, the scriptures say your souls connect, your spirits connect. Apostle Paul says it's a great mystery where you become one. 
You don't casually become one. You become one only when you're committed to give your life as Jesus gave his life for the church. Amen? This is the stuff we need to bleed for because it saves people from so much danger and damage. I mean, how much of our life in Christ redeems has been damaged because we took sex casually and we learned to be used and used others. See, self-control helps us say, no, I'm going to be a safe person. I'm going to say yes to God's limitations. And I'm saying no to that which is detrimental to my own soul and to others. Amen? This is the why behind self-control. How about something that seems like a lighter issue when it comes to eating? Right? But in many ways, it's a life or death issue. I'll give you an example. We talk about the heroin epidemic, right? And it really is an epidemic. How many people died in 2017 from overdoses? Does anyone have any idea? So 72,000 is the answer. 72,000 people died because in a heartbreak, this is heartbreaking news, they, they were a slave to this and couldn't be set free from it. It's hard news. And that's why we're planting this church to push back on some of that. So I don't want it to sound hopeless, but I want you to feel the seriousness of it. Do you know how many people died from obesity? 300,000. 300,000 people died because they couldn't control their eating habits. It's the second leading cause of preventable death in our nation. Close behind nicotine, like it's real close. Like we're always saying, you know, fight and don't, don't smoke and this because we don't want anyone getting cancer. And I'm not judging you if you smoke. That's between you and Jesus. 300,000 people died because they didn't have the self-control to eat balanced. These are grandfathers that are not around for their grandkids, grandmothers, and dads, and moms, and brothers, and sisters. This is a self-control issue where we're running to these things instead of running to Christ. You know, the scriptures say, I hope you want your pastors to be self-controlled. Like, if I was just out of control, besides chairing for the Celtics, I hope you're like, there's something wrong with this dude. We want our spiritual fathers need to be self-controlled. They need to be balanced in life. They need to master things, their schedule, their work. They need to shepherd their family well. Why does the scripture say that? Because you have to be vigilant because the enemy, Satan, is trying to destroy your people. And when we forget we're in a battle and Satan is trying to draw us away to dangerous places because of impulsivities, then people get destroyed and they fall away and their lives are devastated. In the same way, each one of you, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers and sons and daughters in Christ, each one of you have to be vigilant. You have to be a safe person that is self-controlled, that can face these things with the power of God and not only say no to yourself, but then what you will learn is people will come to you so they can help say no to those things. Amen? For those who have been in recovery and, you know, what you'll notice, and you know much better than me, that others who want to walk in the same way, they'll come to you and say, how did you do it? How did you do it? Can you help me? Because I want to get there. What are you being right there? You're a safe place. That's the big why. Some of you have healed from horrible abuse. What do people who are trying to heal from abuse do? They come to you and say, how did you heal from this? I'm struggling with it. 
Some of us who years and years it took us, we're still healing in many ways from fatherlessness. What do people say? How did you heal from that? And you say, I leaned on God as my father. Right? You become a safe place. Restoration Road, God is calling us to be safe people who are self-controlled, who are such a refuge for people so they can be restored by the gospel. Amen? Now, I just want to talk about the how here. How do we cultivate self-control? <laughs> Some of us wrongly might be what I call a purge pattern. Have you ever seen the movie Purge? Or the Purge? Or what is it called? Well, the kind of philosophy behind this movie is give everyone one day a year where they can do whatever they want. Just get it out. Go kill somebody. Go eat a super submarine sub all day, every day. Right? Go cuss someone out. Go destroy the store where they didn't give you the sale you wanted. Just one year, they said, if we just let everyone do whatever they want, get all that, be out of control, then they'll be good for the rest of the year. Now, what I'm afraid of, and what I want you to be thinking about, is do you have a purge pattern in your life? Meaning you've got a three-week run, like that thing that you battle, you're like, I'm killing it. All of a sudden, there's a purge. <laughs> How to get it out? Then it's like, oh, they start again. Then it's like a purge. Like we see this horribly with weddings, right? The worst idea in the history of holiness is to have a bachelor party the day before you're committing your life to be holy sexually. If that's not a work of the flesh, if the, if the enemy ain't cheering on the side, that is the stupidest and most, one of the most evilly stupid things I've ever heard. I'm going to love my wife like Christ loved the church. Order a stripper. But this is considered normal. It's how evil is. Purge yourself before you get married. You got to get it out, man. Ball and chain. It's going to be horrible. This is a purge mentality. And we adopt these foolish, sinful purge mentalities. Christ did not die so you could purge every once in a while. He died so you could be set free every day of your life. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We aren't a slave to these things. And the problem is many of us believe we'll never overcome. You believe that lie. You can't stop. And I'm saying this with love. You can't stop drinking. You can't stop overusing substance. You can't stop overeating. You can't stop having fits of anger. You can't stop being a gossip. You can't. Stop causing strife. You believe you're that person. You are not that person. And when you believe that lie, a man is as he believes. A woman is as she believes. That's why Jesus said, by faith they overcome. See, what the enemy does, he makes you believe you're a master to other things. You actually, just the way I am, it's how my parents were, how they were. I can't overcome it. This is who I am. This is who I am. No. Christ says no. He's your master. You're his child first with all the benefits. You're his child first and foremost. And everything works out from there. So you're set free from every addiction, hang-up, habit, and sin because it's his work. I want you to ask yourself right now, what area of your life are you out of control right now? What area of your life are you out of control right now? And even before our time, we take communion. 
One of the things I want you to do is to pray to God to have the faith to believe that he can cause you to be self-controlled in that area. To repent of it too, between you and God. Meaning, change direction of faith. God, I believe, I'm not this person. I'm your child. It's who I am. And I'm going to walk in the freedom of that. You know, what if I told you on the marshmallow test that the kids that didn't eat the marshmallow was because their mom and, mo mom and dad gave them a Snickers ice cream bar before they went in? You'd be like, that's brilliant. Snickers ice cream bar is the best ice cream bar in the world. Sent down from heaven like manna. And get it at your local 7-Eleven. And you know the bar. If they just go, you grab it, you move on. But here's the key I want to tell you to overcome gratifying the desires of the flesh. This is the key. When we are so satisfied with Christ, we need to be so satisfied with Christ that the things of this world and the works of the flesh pale in comparison to the joy, comfort, strength, and just life we find in Christ himself. He becomes so beautiful and satisfying and wonderful to us to walk with him, to talk with him, to worship with him, to speak of him, to be around his people, that you're so satisfied with that, that you look at those, you know, works of the flesh and say, well, that, there's no way, that pales in comparison. I got a Snickers ice cream bar, I'm not eating that marshmallow. The people who overcome are so filled with the Spirit of God they walk with the Spirit. They talk with the Spirit. They experience the Spirit. What happens when you walk with someone? Right? It said, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you won't gratify the desires of the flesh. Those who are in Christ will crucify these worldly passions, he says. When you walk with someone, you're in their presence. When you walk with someone, you listen to them. When you walk with someone, you talk to them. What I want to ask you here, I want to encourage us, we need to walk so intimately with the Holy Spirit that when we get in those places of temptation, Christ is so much more satisfying to us that it's an absolute no to those worldly desires. And it's an absolute less, uh, yes to Jesus. Amen? So in closing here, the night's coming to an end right now. My prayer is, Restoration Road, that we grow in love because Christ is so wonderful to us. Joy and peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know how many times I say to myself, I've got to remember those nine things, and I feel like I'll miss one or two? God's gracious, I think I'm like that in 99. But God is going to do that work in us, and I want you to believe that. I want you to believe that. That God is going to make you more loving. Some of you heard the message today, and you have some hope, and you're breaking through, but you're like, can I really be self-controlled? God is going to make you self-controlled because we are his workmanship. It is his work. He called you. He saved you. He purchased you, it says, with a price. He purchased you with a price, his life. Jesus, perfectly self-controlled his whole life, said no to every work of the flesh for his whole life. Because some of us might feel condemned right now, like, man, I got a horrible resume. 
And I don't want you to feel like that because there's a lot of bad resumes in here. Actually, there's only bad resumes in here. But the thing is, because our resume was imperfect and was sinful, Christ lived the perfect life, gave the perfect resume. So when God the Father looks at us, he sees the perfect record of Christ who was perfectly self-controlled. I don't want any condemnation here because there is none in reality. I don't say that just because I want you to feel good. I say that because he was in Christ. There is no condemnation because Christ has paid the price. So live in that joy, live in that freedom, and let's be a church family that because we're so close, because of the gospel, we walk in the fruit of the Spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I pray that as we worship you, that we learn to adore you and cherish you more even now and it helps those things fall away that we might be afraid of, afraid that we can overcome. I pray that you give wonderful self-control in those areas which we feel out of control. Father, please help us. We are not, we were not saved to be out of control. We are saved to be self-controlled by the power of your spirit. I pray that you would do the work here at Restoration Road and eat individual person here. You know where they're struggling, Father. Many are struggling with pornography here. And I pray that they will never look at it again. But we self-controlled and vigilant and lean on your grace. Many have been struggling with their eating habits. And it's just more than they even want to think of. It's really affecting their life in, in detrimental ways. I pray that you help them overcome and have healthy eating habits and a healthy view of what food is and what it brings. Something to be enjoyed, but not to be worshipped. I pray for those who are dealing with anger. I pray that they would stop purging on their families, on their friends, in the society, but they really walk in gentleness and self-control, Father. Would you do that work in us, Holy Spirit? We trust you as we finish this sermon series. One of the things we talk about is this is gradual, Lord. We need your help. You're our only hope. You're the safest place to run to. You're our refuge. You're our shelter, God. Please do this work among us that we might be a safe and self-controlled people who, first of all, we experience joy to worship you, but second of all, we can be restorative people who people can run to to find restoration in your gospel, Father, in freedom. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.